Good morning, church. I'm really excited for today. Um, Thank you so much for worshiping with us here this morning. I wanted to really quickly introduce to you uh, the person who's going to be bringing the sermon today. So as Pastor Doug comes on up, um, let me tell you a little bit about him. He has been the senior pastor of Summit Church for 27 years, almost 28 years, uh, in northwest Iowa, a little town called Alta. That's where I had the pleasure of serving by God's grace for uh, seven and a half years. And uh, thank you for putting up with me during that time. I learned a lot. Um, the most that I've learned in ministry from anybody has been from Pastor Doug. He put up with me as I learned how to preach and gave me a lot of opportunities to do different things. And um, It's an honor for him to have, have flown all the way down here with his wife, April, to uh, preach at this ordination service. So let's give him a warm welcome as he brings us the word. Thanks, Kara. Well, good morning, everybody. I, I do count it a great honor to be here with April to share in this special day for uh, Pastor Caleb. What a joy for us to be here to share God's word. Thank you for the extending the privilege. And uh, my goodness, what a beautiful community you have and a beautiful facility and such warm people. I'm very encouraged to be here and uh, to see and to hear how, how warmly you have received Caleb and Ashley and Charlotte, and uh, I want you to know that there are many people in Northwest Iowa who wish they were here today, probably for more reasons than one, but they, uh, certainly their, their, their hearts are with us, their prayers are with us, and uh, they send their love and their support today. Our text is uh, this morning from uh, the New Testament book of Acts in the 20th chapter, Verses 17 through 28, 38 rather, through the end of the chapter, where the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. So I invite you to follow along or listen carefully now, for this is the Word of God, from Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. 
For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. It's a touching scene, isn't it? It's a very emotional farewell. It reminds me, as I'm sure it reminds Caleb and Ashley, of um, a Sunday night 14 weeks ago when uh, Caleb and Ashley said their farewell to the church of Alta, Iowa, Summit Church, where they served seven years, eight months, I think, to be precise. And, um, you know, uh, pastoral transitions are always difficult, but it does help when the departure is not the result of congregational discontent or pastoral disqualification or failure or incompetency or conflict or anything like that. And I can assure you that I don't know of anybody in our church who is happy to see Caleb and Ashley moving on. Um, their ministry was very well received in our church, uh, not just by the students uh, in the youth group, but by the whole congregation. And um, so at the same time, I, I, I know that I, I, everybody in the congregation sensed that the day would come, inevitably, where God was going to call them on, where Caleb's gifts, um, strong gifts of leadership and of preaching would blossom and would bless another congregation. And so there was a degree of sadness for sure in saying goodbye, but also I think a spirit of joy and a readiness to affirm God's calling in their lives and uh, to trust the Lord that he would guide the process on both ends. And I think he has. I can speak for our end anyway. You know, in, in fact, I think perhaps the greatest testimony to Caleb's effectiveness in ministry at Summit is that upon his departure, we hired two young men whom he had discipled to join our staff, one to take on his role and another to take on another role on our pastoral staff. And so, Caleb, while you were with us, you developed many close relationships. You poured your life into people. And in Acts 20, we see, we see that the Apostle Paul did the same thing, didn't he? You can just see how 
He loved the people that he ministered to. It was obvious. He loved them. They loved him. And when we said goodbye to Caleb and Ashley, we were hopeful that they, they might return to visit someday. And for sure, some of us would find our way down here to sunny Florida to visit them, Lord willing. And if nothing else, we knew we could call or text, send emails, maybe even FaceTime um, occasionally. But, you know, when the believers at Ephesus, when they accompanied Paul to the ship, they knew this was it. I mean, this was a final goodbye because of what he had told them by the Spirit. He would not see their face again. And so they would meet again in heaven, but until then, this was a final farewell. And so there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And so it reminds again, it reminds me of that last Sunday night of August. There There were a lot of tears or a lot of affection being expressed and prayers together as we said goodbye to Caleb and Ashley. But These people in Ephesus, they felt so grateful to God because for three years Paul had ministered to them and they were not the same people as they were when he first arrived. They had come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and they had grown in the word of his grace. And Caleb, I can can honestly say the people who were under your ministry would say today that they are not the same today as they were when they first met you because they grew so much under the word of God's grace as Caleb shared it with them. And so, uh, you know, I think, um, as I said, two in particular, I think of who grew under Caleb's leadership, so much so that uh, the baton of leadership was handed off to those two young men in our church, just as Paul right here is handing off the baton of leadership to these Ephesian elders. He knows that the future of that local church now depends upon the faithfulness of these men to shepherd the flock of God. And so Paul calls upon them in this text. He calls upon them to pick up that baton and to carry on the work that he had begun. The church's survival was dependent on that. Notice something in verse 17. They're called elders. But then if you look at verse 28, they're called overseers. And in that same verse, verse 28, you'll see that they're given the charge to care for the church, or some translations say to shepherd the church. It's the, it's the verb form of the word that's also translated pastor in the New Testament. Pastors are shepherds. They, they are called to, to feed and to lead and to care for the flock. But all these words are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament. Pastor, elder, overseer. It all refers to the same office, whether it's someone serving vocationally or not. And here in Ephesus, as everywhere in the New Testament, there is a team of elders or pastors, not just one man, right? It's never a healthy situation if any church is ruled by a single individual. But Paul's farewell address then to this leadership team, it it basically answers the question, what does pastoral ministry look like? So it's obviously relevant 
to Caleb on a day like today, but I think it's relevant, frankly, to all of us. Much of what he says here is applicable to every Christian. As Paul addresses the leaders, in a sense, he's addressing the whole church through them. And one observation that just strikes me as I study this passage is how frequently words such as teaching, declaring, testifying are used, or proclaiming, admonishing. It's said in so many different ways, but the church clearly has a word-based mission. I mean, it's more than words, but it can't be less. In verse 32, Paul commends them to God and to the word of his grace. The church of Jesus Christ must proclaim his word. And we must do so first with faithfulness. Verses 17 through 21. Here we get a a picture of the consistency of Paul's life and his ministry. Looking back at the three years that he had spent there, he he has no regrets. He has no secrets. You yourselves know, he says, how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. Everywhere Paul went, you know, his critics accused him of insincerity. They questioned his motives. And Paul can appeal to the memory of those people who had known him the whole time. From beginning to end, they saw how he served the Lord. And verse 19 says it was with humility. He hadn't sought to draw attention to himself. He just pointed them to Christ. At all times. And rather than making an effort to appear as some great leader or some great preacher, he glorified Jesus in all that he did. And he wasn't ashamed for them to see his weakness, for them to see his vulnerabilities, to see his tears. Paul hadn't related to them just as as some kind of a scholar, although he was that. His heart was with them. He wept. He prayed with them. Caleb, I I consider Caleb to be a scholar. Really, I mean, he he is a very intelligent young man, extremely well-read, a very sharp theologian. But I think this is just a good reminder, Caleb, to continue to pour your heart into people, not just into books. You can see how close that he was with these people and how the, they trusted each other. I mean, if you're crying with somebody, there's, you let, they're seeing your tears. You must trust them. So Paul shared in their struggles, and he allowed them to care for him. They saw the trials that he endured for their sake, how he was attacked and he was afflicted. By unbelieving Jews, as the text says, hostile unbelievers. Ministry in Ephesus was challenging. This was no picnic. I mean, there was much opposition. How easy it would have been for Paul to get discouraged and just quit. But he wasn't looking for a way to escape. He stayed with them. He says in verse 20, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Anything profitable? 2 Timothy 3 says all scripture is profitable, right? For teaching. So Paul didn't shy away from any of it. He was bold 
to proclaim all of the truth. And he did it both publicly and privately. In large groups or in small groups, he imparted the word to people, helping them get to know it and to apply it to their lives. You know, sometimes what happens in a home can be just as powerful as what happens in a large group setting. As families read the word together and as friends gather to discuss it, But Paul was faithful in his teaching in so many contexts. He's not an ivory tower kind of theologian. He's accessible. He's present in the lives of people. He's visiting in their homes. And his life then gave credibility to his message. There was no double standard here. People could see that he practiced what he preached, that what he did matched what he said. He wasn't perfect. Nobody is. Nobody should be held to that expectation, but he was godly. He set an example for them as he testified. Verse 21 says, both to Jews and to Greeks, of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul reached out to all kinds of people, in other words, religious, non-religious, sharing the gospel message, even with people that he had formerly despised. But Paul was willing to move outside of his comfort zone. And he showed no partiality because he believed the gospel is for everybody. That forgiveness of sins, eternal life, it's offered to anyone who believes in Jesus. Amen? Turn from your sins and trust in the cross, and you will be saved. So Caleb, as you proclaim that message, may you do so with faithfulness. And second, with courage. Verses 22 through 24. At this point in the sermon, Paul transitions now from the past to the future. He transitions from what was known by everybody now to what is unknown to everybody, even to Paul. Verse 22, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Doesn't sound like a very comforting text. For your ordination Sunday, does it? And we certainly pray that imprisonment doesn't await you here in Lakeland. But we do know that for many ministers of the gospel throughout history and around the world, actually even today, the outlook for them would be very similar to Paul's situation. But in any case, even if you stay out of jail, afflictions of one kind or another await all of us, in every city, because Jesus said, in this world you will have many tribulations. But I think it's good for us to notice how the role of the Holy Spirit is emphasized in verse 22 and verse 23. Isn't that interesting how the same Holy Spirit, who warns Paul that trouble awaits him in every town, that same Holy Spirit is compelling him to go forward into it. 
to go forward into, to, on his way to Jerusalem. It's very similar to a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples in Matthew 16. You remember? Where Jesus told them that he must go to Jerusalem, where he would be rejected, he would suffer, he would be killed and be raised on the third day. And Peter says, no, that will never happen to you, Jesus. And Jesus said, thank you for caring for me, Peter. Let's cancel those trips then. Let's find an Airbnb on the beach somewhere. Stay out of the... No. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, for you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And so, in the same way, here, Paul's destination has been set by God, so he won't be stopped. He is ready to go to Jerusalem and stare death in the face. I mean, he, there are no guarantees that he will survive from one day to the next. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's courage. Paul's attitude is not survival at all costs. His attitude is finish well regardless of the cost. And it's not that he has some kind of a death wish or that he doesn't value his life. I mean, our lives are a gift from God. But Paul realizes that if your life is a gift from God, it's a gift that needs to be invested, not wasted. Life is short. Has that dawned on the rest of you? I'm sure it has. Life is short. Eternity is a long time. And it's right around the corner. So how sad then when, when we live as if this life is all that there is. You know, the, the only thing that lasts forever would be what? God and his word and the eternal souls of people. So I, I like when Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, he said, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. So, Caleb, I would encourage you to spend and be spent. Spend your life and let your life be spent for the souls of Lake Morton Community Church. Now, at this point, Paul doesn't know exactly what lies ahead. He knows it will involve suffering. He suspects that his death may be near. Verse 25, he tells them, none of you will see my face again. But he wants his friends to know that he's not worried about that. He's, he's not afraid to die. All of us are going to die anyway. He didn't know that, right? Okay, just checking. But, you know, if that's true, then surely there are more important things than just trying to pro prolong your life. It's more important things than that. I mean, I... Personally, I would rather live a short life that was useful to God and others than to live a long life that was all about me. Now, I'm not claiming that I'm as courageous as Paul. I'm not ready to volunteer to be imprisoned and beheaded for the cause of Christ. But you know what? 
God hasn't promised me the grace to run Paul's race. He's promised to give me the grace to finish my race well. And Caleb, same for you. And so whatever is in your unknown future, even if it involves hardships or even there's opposition to endure, keep moving forward in faith, trusting that God is in control. He has a plan. Your life is in his hand. Proclaim God's word with faithfulness, with courage, and third, with vigilance. Verses 25 through 31. And now, behold. By the way, did you notice that those first three words in verse 25, and now behold, at least that's the ESV translation, and now behold, those same words began verse 22. And now behold. And in a similar way, in verse 32, it begins, and now. That's why this sermon has four points. I think that those connecting words serve as sort of seams in the passage that show a progression of thought. And in this paragraph, the emphasis is on staying watchful, staying vigilant. While Paul was with them, he could, he could stand guard to protect them from false teaching. And he did it by declaring to them the whole counsel of God, as he puts it in verse 27. That means that he refused to add anything or to subtract anything from the Word of God. He didn't just pick and choose preaching all of his favorite verses. He didn't just pick all the passages that he knew would be a great comfort to people. Instead, he also preached some hard passages. He preached some things that would make people feel uncomfortable. He didn't flinch from proclaiming all of God's word, even if it was unpopular or if it was costly to him. Then, as now, you know, some would presume to judge the Bible rather than to let the Bible judge them and their views. But if God revealed it, Paul preached it. And he did it without fear of what others thought. So, Caleb, may that always be true, and I know it will be, of your ministry. Because as you preach the whole counsel of God, your conscience will be clear, just like Paul's was. So some people will receive that message. Others won't receive it. But you'll sleep at night because you'll have fulfilled your responsibility. That, that's what Paul means in verse 26 when he says, I am innocent of the blood of all. And yet Paul also knows that all of his hard work could be quickly undone if the elders are negligent to fulfill their responsibility. So in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. What a powerful verse right there. Spiritual leadership begins with taking care of yourself. 
Pastors and elders must first of all keep watch over their own lives, lest they fall away from Christ and set a bad example for the sheep. You know, the late pastor A.W. Tozer from Chicago, he said, you know who gives me the most trouble in my church? You know who I pray for more than anybody else in my pastoral work? Me. I mean, what a sobering reality to consider that the holiness of any congregation, it will rarely rise to a level that's higher than those who are overseeing the ministry. So keep watch over yourself, first of all. Think of in the airplane. I tell you, if those masks drop, take care of yourself first, right, before you try to help somebody else. Spiritual leadership is the same way. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock. Verse 28, Caleb, it tells us that you are responsible to care for your church also. Is that what it says? Not exactly, right? Care not for your church. Care for the church of God. It is possible for an elder or a pastor to, to delude himself with a false sense of ownership. Never lose sight of the fact, Caleb, that Jesus purchased this church with his blood. It belongs to him. And according to verse 28, pastors and elders are appointed by the Holy Spirit in order to shepherd the flock on Christ's behalf. So that must be their primary concern, shepherd the flock, the whole flock. If, if you're going to shepherd the flock, you have to know the flock so that you can guide them in ways that takes the spiritual needs of everyone into account. And that is not easy, right? That can be a challenge. That's why your pastors and your elders, they need your prayers that they might be vigilant in their efforts because as Paul warns, false teachers will arise. Even from within the church, he says, verse 29, fierce wolves will come in speaking twisted things and leading people astray. He's really echoing what Jesus said. Matthew 7, where Jesus warned that there would be ravenous wolves among you who are dressed in sheep's clothing people who are distorting the truth even though they're using the Bible. So discernment is needed. Just because someone is quoting the Bible doesn't mean that they are a trustworthy teacher. Therefore, be alert. Paul says, verse 31, the church of Jesus Christ must proclaim his word with faithfulness, with courage, with vigilance, and forth with selflessness. Verses 20, 32 through 35. In this final section of his sermon, Paul again reminds them of the example that he set for them. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Paul didn't need fancy accommodations. He didn't expect perks or privileges. He, he was content 
with whatever God provided for him. He, he may not have had much, but if he had something to eat, and he, he had something to wear, and he had a place to stay, he, it was enough. And you know, elsewhere, he instructs churches to take good care of their pastors. But as a church planter, Paul personally, like he, he didn't want to be a burden on anybody. And so when he wasn't preaching the gospel, Paul was doing manual labor as a tent maker in order to support himself and others on the team. And in that way, he could present the gospel free of charge and free from the charge that he was trying to profit by his ministry. Financial integrity. So important, isn't it? For any church or for any spiritual leader. How many pastors have gotten themselves into trouble by mishandling funds or credit cards. Paul spared no effort then, not only to do what is right, but to be seen doing what is right. Verse 35, in all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Trivia question, where did Jesus say that? You're right. Yeah, you know. It's an interesting thing that you won't find that quote in any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. But Jesus obviously said, did a lot of teaching that wasn't recorded in the Gospels, and this is an example. Evidently, this was passed on by oral tradition, and it had become well known in the early church that Jesus said this. It's more blessed to give than to receive. The happiest people in the world are people who give. Generosity is a path to joy. Spiritual leaders should set the example of generosity. But every believer should view their resources not as an opportunity to pursue their own gratification, but to look for ways to bless others. Look for ways to help the weak in obedience to Christ. So this quotation of Paul, it ends Paul's sermon to the Ephesians. So it's time for me to end this sermon to us as well. But Caleb, my prayer is that Paul's words here to the Ephesian elders, that it might be an encouragement to you on this day for your ministry because God has gifted you I'm an eyewitness God has gifted you for ministry and he's called you to this place and he, he has called you to serve the Lord Jesus Christ as a minister of the gospel the Lord is with you he'll surely enable you to fulfill your ministry with faithfulness with courage, with vigilance, and with selflessness to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please bow with me in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for revealing your word to us that we don't have to guess 
about how we fulfill the ministry of the church and what is expected of spiritual leaders. We thank you for all of your word, the whole counsel of Scripture, as well as for this particular sermon of Paul. Lord, I pray that it might reflect, truly reflect the ministry of Lakewood Community Church. So I'm sure it already does, but I pray that it might continue, that it might be their heritage, their legacy, their future, and that you would empower Caleb by your spirit to live this out with the support and the participation of every member in the body here. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.